Hello, hello. Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum and a member of the Drum Click Podcast Network. This episode has been a long time coming, and we've got Justin Scott, aka J. Scott Drummer, on the show to drop some serious knowledge. I've been obsessed with Justin's drumming for years, and I'm sure you have too. If not, you will be after this episode. He's a monster player that can fit more notes in a 15-second clip than I can in a lifetime, but he always puts music first. He's a great teacher, and you can find all of his extremely affordable lesson plans on his website, which is jscottdrummer.net. I have personally bought and used every single one and can't recommend them enough. You watch one video of his on Instagram and you might want to hang up your boots, but in his lesson plans, he breaks down drumming in a really rad way that will inspire you all over again and make even the fastest and most creative players seem a whole lot less intimidating. So please enjoy the top five happenings that made Justin Scott into the player he is today. Cheers. definitely made a distinction in past interviews I've heard you do of what you do on Instagram and then what you would do at a gig um, and that sometimes you'd even take days off from the the mental anguish if you will of that intense practice to get ready for the gig um, can you walk us through what you what you specifically mean by that yeah um, so in the past when I've had to prepare for gigs or even like when I was a teenager doing the guitar center drum offs and stuff. Uh, oh man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I realized later in life that the way that I was, uh, preparing myself for things like that, um, just wasn't very efficient. So, you know, when I'm, when I'm practicing, my brain is in, uh, a super analytical mode where I'm, I'm focusing on all the little details all the time. And um, when I perform, I want to be in a completely different brainwave. Like, um, I don't want to think about all the little details. So if I am constantly in practice mode all the way up to a gig or all the way up to a performance, it's very hard for me to try to get my brain to snap out of practice mode and into creative mode. So I find that by giving myself a few days um, of a of a period of rest where I'm just letting my brain process information and trying to kind of get myself into more of a creative space mentally helps me a lot when I actually get to the performance. Um, mm. And just rest in general, I've found, um, is massively important for me. Like giving my brain time to process the stuff I've worked on realizing like like for the drum off for instance when i was a teenager i would i'd practice every day for hours for a couple months up to a drum off and then you get to the actual performance and i realized later that i'd never given my brain time to process anything i was just constantly filling it with you know information every day pushing harder and harder and um you know there's been other times in my life where 
where I would I'd be working on something really hard and then I would take a vacation for like a week and I wouldn't think about it at all and I'd come back a week later and sit down and suddenly it's so much easier to play and my mind is clear and I'm I, suddenly I don't have to try at all things just happen naturally and it just dawned on me how important that period of rest is for your for your mind to process things so yeah, when I if I have a performance of some kind, I I practice really hard and then I take at least, you know, two or three days off where I just do anything but think uh about whatever it is I'm performing. Damn, I I know exactly what you mean about taking that week off. It's like a superhuman when you come back and then give it yeah. a week and then you're like, "Oh no. <laughs> I'm back yeah. to not knowing what the hell I'm doing." So, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, and so like I love those magic moments where your brain's just like, oh, I got this. Uh, you know, just, you know, I've, 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 it's like the little worker elves in your head go in and clear out the, the workspace and they, there's all this piles of junk everywhere that you've been working on and they, they kind <laughs> yeah. of organize things and finish things that you forgot about. And, and then when you come back, it's like you're in this very clean space. Everything's organized and where it should be and it's very easy to play. Um, and then you, yeah, you get back into practicing and pushing again, and suddenly it gets all muddy, you know, after a while again. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, just figuring out over time, having a good rest to work ratio, understanding how much rest I need, you know, for every for every few hours of practice that I do, I need a certain amount of rest from from that. So that's kind of a big part of how I've um, learned to develop over the last few years so mm -hmm. well what are your goals as a drummer when it comes to the specifics of what you do on instagram which is a little more if i could generalize and i, I hate to but a little more choppy you know what is because you do make the distinction between those two things so what is your goal with that um i mean with instagram i mean i'm not a to be honest i'm not a social media person if it wasn't for drumming um i don't know if i'd be on social media um because it's just not something i i typically enjoy now i i like that i've built relationships with people and and i like to to connect with other drummers and um and obviously it's fun putting out content and and uh, but but i'm i started doing instagram because it's the best way i've ever found to market yourself you know um so i I just love the process of practicing the drums. Like that's what I'm most passionate about is just practicing. Mm -hmm. um, I just enjoy the process of it. So um, I I always wanted to figure out a way to build my career around practice. Um, so the thing that I realized at one point that I that I had to have in order to do that but i didn't have was was a following of some kind people no one knew who i was and um so it's like i if i can if i can get my playing out there for people to see and hear and then if you know if people enjoy what i'm doing then i can help you know other people learn you know how i do things so mm -hmm. i love to teach i like to i like to uh help people figure things out but um I don't think there's one right way to do it. So when I teach things, I don't teach from a perspective of like this is the right way to do it or 
this is you know the best way to do it. I just kind of teach things from this is how I do it. This is what worked for me, um, and you know, hope maybe it'll work for you. Let me help you, you know, figure out this system or whatever it is that I'm teaching. Um, so I really enjoy teaching, but I really I just love the process of practicing and getting better. And most of my Instagram videos are probably ninety nine percent of them are just clips of like the end of my practice session where I'm trying to get out of that analytical practice mode and I'm trying to let my brain just play. Sure. So usually it's just a lot of a lot of stuff kind of coming out because I'm trying to let my brain just flow from one idea to another and then I run into problems and then and then I know what to work on. So it's like, okay, why didn't that work? Okay, I need to work on that more tomorrow or something. Um but yeah, I play a lot of he- like a lot of notes typically. There's a lot of stuff going on cuz I I like working on intricate things. But my goal at least at least when i'm it doesn't always come across in my videos obviously but uh when i perform my goal is to always have some sort of groove or pulse or rhythmic phrase something that foundationally is simple enough for just about anybody to lock into and then fill that space with whatever i want that hopefully makes it more interesting so sure um yeah, that's kind of my approach. So I, obviously every video is not like that because some, some videos are just like 10 seconds of mindless, you know, chops or whatever. But, um, yeah, I just find clips that I think are interesting. Um, none of them are perfect. There's mistakes in all of them. But that's what's fun about it. Like, it's just, here's a video of me drumming today. This yeah. is where I'm at, you know. So. Well, I can also view it as like it's a it's a it's like a, a traveling salesman. You're like, here's here's today. This is what I was working on. You could take three seconds of this and spend the next hour if you want to work on the way I went from 16th notes to 16th note triplets and this like weird, you know, weird grouping. And then go, okay, well, I'll just take that little thing. But uh, we can get into your top five, and I do have some more questions, but I kind of want to link them into. Speaking of linking them into what you are already going to say, so. Um, we can just start with your with your first one. Number one is uh, learning by ear and air drumming. Yeah. Um, so I grew up. Uh, my dad was a pastor of a church. So, you know, when I was a real little kid, before I can remember, I was in a building every week hearing people play music and watching drummers. So, I grew up just always seeing drummers and hearing drummers and driving around listening to music in my parents cars and uh, for some reason drumming just always made sense it just was kind of I just naturally understood the drums and uh, all through my teenage years I learned by ear so um, well and then I'd, I'd watch drummers when I could but you know I didn't have YouTube and stuff so it was mostly listening and I'm really thankful for that time because I couldn't there was there was no like way to cheat in some way and figure things out like I just had to listen to things over and over and over and try to figure out what I was hearing Um, and then because from the age of about 10 until 18 I didn't have drums at the house Mm. so I would I would just play on pillows and cushions and stuff. And then most of the time when I was like playing along to music, I would be air drumming. 
So I kind of had this imaginary drum set in my head and I knew where everything was and I would turn on my favorite albums and I would just air drum and I I made it it was it was like the only practice I really did. I wasn't practicing any rudiments or hand technique or anything at the time because um, I didn't know any. I didn't know anything about note rates and reading or any of it. So I just but I but I could I could listen to things, figure out what the drummer was doing or figure out how to play something similar and even though I couldn't hear what I was playing I knew whether or not I was doing it right and I felt I felt like at, at the time it was a great way to learn because I wasn't making any noise to cover up what I was hearing so I, I could really clearly hear even when I'm pretending to play I can clearly hear what's what's happening in the song and I knew when I would make a mistake and so I I, I love that period of my life because Sometimes I think back and go, well, what if I'd gotten into all the concepts and stuff earlier, you know? But then I would have missed out on all the ear training. I wouldn't have had the the ability to hear things and figure them out quickly now. So, um, yeah, I think I think it's a I think it's a great way to learn. I learning by ear and forcing yourself to listen a lot. And then air drumming in general, I I always kind of recommend to people like when you're learning a song. I always re- recommend doing some air drumming or just kind of tapping things out. Like, don't make a lot of noise over it while you're learning it. Because um, mm. it's just, I feel like it's a more natural way to learn things. But, yeah, that was a big, that was a huge part of um, my early development all throughout when I was a kid and a teenager. So, I'm really, I really love that time. Were there any specific uh, CCM artists that you kind of turned to more than more than most? Um, I mean, I played a lot of church music, but I never listened to it unless I was like driving around in the car with my parents or something. Mm-hmm. When I was a teenager, I really got into like rock bands, like well, new metal and stuff. Like, so I loved, I loved like when I was thirteen, I loved Creed. Sure. Like I, I could play when I was thirteen. I could play every song because I just would sit there and air drum and learn every song. And then I, you know, I loved like. P.O.D. and Linkin Park and, you know, all those kind of bands. And then later I got into, like, Chevelle and Avenged mm. Sevenfold and Tool. And um, I loved heavier music like that for a long time. And I, I learned just by listening to those songs and air drumming for a long time. Um, and then on the weekends I'd play at church, and that was the only time I played, like, real drums, even though most of the time they were electric drums, but whatever. Um <laughs> it was it was the only time i could actually play and so i learned a lot in church too you know playing because you know i started playing in church when i was 10 and i was playing with adults so all my teenage years i was playing with adults who'd been playing for a long time and none of them are professionals but they knew how to play a song right you know and i'm like a kid i don't know how to play a song right so i learned song form and how to keep things simple and how to keep the time and just basic things when I was a kid, um, foundational things that I didn't have to worry about later. So, yeah, I, I I was into a lot of rock music, though, mostly. I, I've always played at church my whole life, but I don't spend a lot of time listening to CCM music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Creed, I forget the drummer's name, but... Uh, Scott Phillips. Scott Phillips, okay. Yeah, he is an underrated drummer. I mean, yeah, his, yeah. he was a parts guy, for sure. Little subtle oh, yeah. changes between like every other like bass drum pattern in the verse and stuff, and 
Yeah, uh, I think it's higher. That was actually my middle school's kind of like walkout graduation song. <laughs> it's a that's a fun drum part to play. Yeah, those toms I just coming. Liked, I loved the drumming. He was the first drummer, like, because I didn't grow up listening to jazz or or hearing anything like that. So he was the first guy that I saw like always bouncing his left foot. He always had like his hi hat mm. going while he was playing on the ride. I'm like, oh. well, that's interesting. I'm going to learn how to do that. So I started working on it. And, you know, little little subtle things in his playing, like swiping an open hi-hat inside of a groove and sure. things like that that I, I just liked. You know, I liked the way he played. Um, and there were a few drummers that I learned a lot from at that age. Um, and then eventually I started, as an older teenager, I started... See, like that's when YouTube or you know the internet in general videos started coming out, and um, that's when I started seeing videos of like Dave Weckles and Tony Royster's and Thomas Langs, and it just blew my mind. I went from feeling like I was a pretty good drummer to like <laughs> I know nothing about drumming. This sucks. I'm terrible. So it was like it was really depressing in some ways at the time when you when you realize that there's so much that you don't know but at the same but it just made me excited you know i started getting really hungry for learning stuff so yeah it was a cool time yeah going back to air drumming i remember because i did the same thing and i actually did it in front of a mirror because i was so into showmanship and i wanted to make sure that i was like looking cool and i remember my mom would always she was like the angry neighbor downstairs she would like pound on the on the ceiling because like my bass drum would just be like or my foot <laughs> would just be hitting the ground. She's like, damn it, it's like 10.30, Ben, shut up. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. No, air drumming is very underrated. Every drummer should should spend some time doing it. Every once in a while, if I'm feeling saucy, I'll put the two chinas behind me and just do the really, sh- you know, showmanship 101s. Yeah, exactly. Catch them. Um, but uh, before I move on, uh, I'm, I'm going to steal this question directly from Mike Dawson. But when you do air drum... Do you, I mean, if it's not obviously linked to the song you're playing, do you have a specific drum sound or snare sound that you're like, this is the snare drum? Uh, honestly, like, the snare sound that I love the most is probably Benny Grebs. Mm. That's my, that tight pop, you know, where he loosens a couple of the uh, tension rods and gets that fat. I don't know, his his... His tuning in general uh, had a huge impact on on how I wanted drums to sound. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, probably Benny Greb's snare that that pop. Did you get to play his new snare at Nam when you were there? I didn't get to play it. I got to watch him play it, and that was that <laughs> okay. was good enough for me. <laughs> I guess that's a good trade off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're a great host. Uh, we're going to transition to number two, which is uh, Benny Greb's language of drumming. Yes, um, and so yeah, right when I was you know getting into my late teens, uh, early twenties, that's when I started kind of discovering some of those great, really just unbelievable drummers, and um, I tried a few different things. Like event, I went a little bit into like Thomas Lang's Matrix system for a while, mm. and uh, I just had a realization one day that that was a that was a rabbit hole that I only wanted to go so far down. I know what you mean. Because um, at some point you're you're losing the uh, just for me at least. I was I'm like okay. I, at some point I'm losing musical application here. 
I, I need to I need to have things I can actually use more. So, you know, I was looking at a few different things. I also came across um, Todd Zuckerman's first DVD at the time, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of cool information in there. But when I came across Benny Greb's The Language of Drumming, uh, that was the first time I'd been... That's the first time I'd ever heard about, uh, like, the grid and there being a, a very structured way to figure out um, kind of every possible way to play a particular idea. And it just changed my... It changed everything. And in that period, I switched from being someone who learned everything by ear to suddenly, like, it felt like I was kind of tearing everything down and building a new foundation based on his uh, language of drumming system. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started kind of working through that and figuring out where weak, uh, weak links were. And, um, yeah, it just, it, it changed. It, it, it had a profound change on the way I viewed the instrument, and it, it made me really excited because suddenly it's like, okay, there's a, there's an actual system that I can use to figure out every possible way to do things and uh, find where my weak links are and fix them. And so that, that, that was huge. That was a big deal. And then, you know, later on when I went to music school and stuff, uh, I explored those concepts a lot more and then later on ended up kind of expanding upon a lot of them on my own. Um, but yeah, I mean, when I think about that whole period, I learned a lot of stuff just by watching DVDs and buying people's books and trying to absorb as much as I could, even though I couldn't read music really. Um, at the time, that language of drumming and just Benny Benny's playing in general uh, just had a huge impact on me. Like his playing to me, he's kind of... I think like the the ultimate example of someone who kind of lives in that median between musicality and technical ability. Like he's just kind of like he you know you have the guys with the extreme technical ability and they're playing 15 and 13 against 7 and 27 16 and it's just mm-hmm. this and and then you've got, you know, Steve Jordan just laying down fat grooves and making it feel amazing. And then you've got kind of in the middle there a number of drummers. But to me, Benny's like one of those guys that I can play Benny Greb for like anybody. Like here's a random video of Benny Greb just playing and people are like instantly like into what he's doing. And it it doesn't matter that they don't understand what he's doing technically because it just enhances the groove or the pulse. Um, So that just had a big impact on me. The it, it, it helped kind of guide um, where I wanted to go as a drummer in a lot of ways and, and knowing like when to stop going down certain rabbit holes and when to kind of start thinking more like horizontally like take a concept and get as much as I can out of this one idea sure. instead of just striving for more and more what what's possible you know things so mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Benny Greb's language of drumming was just massive for me. And I know that, that a lot of people probably learned that type of grid system somewhere else. But for me, that was like, that was the first time I'd ever seen it. And it kind of opened my eyes. So, 
Yeah, I know it's it's it almost feels cliche to say he's the best, but he really is. <laughs> hey, y'all, I wanted to <laughs> I can't say I wanted to talk to you about a drum I've recently received from Preston at Vessel Drum Co. It's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum, and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, and Preston actually, this is why it's called the Ocean Patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his, his, you know, where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum. And it was, it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful. And he actually let me use it on an Eve 6 tour. And I didn't keep it and I regretted it ever since then just because I was trying to pinch pennies at the time and I just kept thinking about it and so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums so the ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum check it out reach out to me go to vessel drum co the instagram's just at vessel drum co and check it out it's amazing it's beautiful sounds great bye well, you uh, alluded to this, and so number three is your music school concepts. Yeah, so um, I learned a lot when I went to music school. I, I, I didn't go until I was 24. Oh, wow. Um, and so, you know, I was just working different jobs growing up uh, until then, and um, finally was able to go to music school, and that's when I moved from Colorado to Atlanta. And uh, I did a year program at the Atlanta Institute of Music. And, um, you know, music school, you know, you get out of it what you put into it. So I would say most people who go to music school don't quite understand what it is. And they don't, there's kind of an idea, oh, I'm going to music school. They're going to turn me into a great musician. And it's like, no, this is just a place for you to do a lot of work where you can ask questions while you're doing your work. I mean, that's essentially what it is. You, it's just a place to work your butt off. And um, have accountability from other people, too. Right. And now, like, you are you have professionals who do this for a living, and so when they give you an assignment, you can't really think of it as, like, school. It's not like an assignment. This is a chance for you to prove yourself to a person who's doing this for a living. And so if you think about it that way, it's like, this is an opportunity for you to make a connection or a relationship that could end up paying your bills down the road. Sure. So it's just about perspective in music school. So you know, I learned a lot about the music business. I met a lot of people and networked with people. And then I learned a lot of concepts that I didn't know growing up learning you know, by ear. So I learned how to properly read and sight read and chart out songs and I was able to build a foundation in styles that I'd never played like jazz and Latin um, and started studying concepts 
you know, like the new breed, for instance. Mm. Um, we never technically went through the book, but, you know, we used the reading pages in the middle of the book, and then the teacher would come up with his own um, ostinato patterns for us to play against those reading pages. And that that whole concept just... I became obsessed with it and just realizing I can develop basically any kind of coordination I want using this. And so, um, you know, that along with other things that, that I learned, particularly like in jazz performance classes, my teacher, uh, Tom Knight, who's just a monster drummer. He studied with Dave Weckl for years and years and, so he had, you know, when he played, it was like watching Weckl play. Very, very just loose and, you know, effortless. And so that had a big impact, just watching him play things. He'd go up, you know, the teachers would go up and, okay, here's the song we're playing. And they would just shred the song. And we're all like, oh, my word. <laughs> yeah. And then we have to go up and try to play it. And I learned a lot about, you know, because I'd go up and play a song and I'm, I'm, and then I go to Tom, and I'm ready for Tom to, like, shred me. Like, give me all the stuff I suck at so I know what to go work on. Yeah. And he'd always say, like, man, the stuff you're playing is great, but you have to cut the volume in half. Like, you have to go – you have to be able to play all that stuff, but way down here, really quiet. And so it became an obsession to 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 work on dynamics and be able to play everything at super low volumes. And, you know, concepts like, like that – uh, you know that and like the new breed stuff it just changed um, it, it changed how I approached practice and then learning how how to manage your practice how to you know because that's all I was doing when I was in music school I was just practicing all day and then going to school at night so I had to learn to manage my time because the way that the school I went to worked was you know, they were basically cramming three or four years of school into like one year program. So their goal was to spread you super thin. So like the first quarter you're there, it's pretty easy. And then second quarter, they just start hammering you like you got to do this, 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 have it all ready by next week. So if you don't learn to manage your time and, and, and practice everything, um, you know, efficiently and have a, a schedule, you're kind of screwed. So that was a big part of it. Learning, things you know one of my teachers would say like don't practice any one subject for more than like 15 or 20 minutes because after 15 or 20 minutes your brain is going to start to daydream and you're going to start to kind of go on autopilot and he's like so make a list of the things you got to practice and spend 10 or 15 minutes on each one and then if you have more time go back through the list again and that way you hit everything on your list and uh, you're you're kind of equally splitting up your time, and you're giving each thing your your focused attention. So things like that 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 are super valuable to learn, you know. So I I just learned uh, I learned how to learn in music school. Sure. I don't I don't know how much I actually got better in that time. I'm sure I did get better, but but I was spread so thin. You don't have time to get really good at anything. Yeah. Um, so when I got out of music school, there was a period of maybe six or seven months where I just didn't practice at all. I was so burnt out. I just let myself... I was teaching at a music store and playing at church gigs on the weekends, and I was like, that's all I'm going to do for now. Sure. Um, Which is, again, kind of like what you were talking about, giving yourself the mental break, you know? Yeah. 
my brain just needed it. Yeah. It just needed it needed me to like leave leave me alone for a while and let me process this stuff. Um and uh and that's where, you know, I think the fifth thing on my list, which we'll get into, is when I started writing out my own concepts and stuff. And that that happened about six or seven months after music school when I started getting back into a a mode of practicing. That's where all the creativity suddenly kind of showed up and but yeah music school was great i got a lot out of it because i just worked really really hard um when i was there um and i left there like when i got to school i had all these questions and when i left i was like okay anything i want to learn from now on i can figure out mm-hmm. you know um which was the whole point that's why i went so and you, I mean, what made you go from Colorado? What made you pick Atlanta? Uh, so originally I was going to go to MI in, in California, mm-hmm. um, but it was just way too expensive. I could never get the money to go. It just never financially made sense. Yeah. And then, um, you know, I, I randomly was looking kind of in the south um, because my wife's family lives in Tennessee, so they live in Chattanooga, Tennessee, which is about two hours from Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So she wanted to kind of be closer to her family, and I'm like, well, maybe there's a music school somewhere near there that I could go to. And I happened to find Atlanta Institute of Music, and it and it just worked out. So that's why it, that's why I chose Atlanta. Um, and we've just we just stayed because you know you build relationships with people, and you know so it just worked out when you so when you went to music school what was your original goal with drumming or is it just to get as good as you can be and then figure it out from there uh a little bit yeah i mean i had ideas about you know possibly trying to get on tour or you know just you know the, the thing that they tell you when you're there just take every gig you can possibly take no matter what it is just go out and work just take everything mm-hmm. um and so for a little while when i was in, first there that the idea was kind of like hey whatever i'm just gonna get as good as i possibly can i'm gonna work as hard as i can build relationships with people and then whatever is supposed to happen will happen um and i but i realized over over the course of going through school by the time i was done i realized that i wasn't going to be the guy to go out and get every gig and and try to do the gig thing um i realized like i would i want to be able to practice the things i want to practice and spend the majority of my time doing that so instead i immediately got a job teaching at a music store and i consistently had church gigs on the weekends so between those two things uh, I mean, I it, it took a while to build up the students at the music store. There was a period where I had to work regular jobs and everything after school, and um, you know, it's just perfectly normal. Yeah, but eventually, totally. I was able to build up enough students at the music store and teaching at the or playing at church gigs, um, where I was making enough where I could spend the majority of my time practicing. So. Which was always kind of the goal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and when I, yeah, when I realized that that it was actually possible to make enough money through drumming uh, to pay my bills, um, along with my wife's income, of course, um, 
but I could spend the vast majority of my time like practicing the concepts I actually want to practice. That was huge, like, because that was always the thing for me. I, I it's basically backwards. Everybody else is like practice, so that you can go get the gigs and make money with drumming. And I was like, I need to figure out how to make money with drumming so that I can keep practicing. So it's just kind of a, I guess, a backwards way of look. Because I just, I just love the process. Like, if you took everything away, you took money, uh, endorsements, Instagram. If you if if no one was ever going to hear me play again, I would still want to wake up every day, make some coffee, sit down on my drums and practice. Like that's what I'd want to spend my time doing. Um, it so. seems like it seems like you excel at being very self-aware of that kind of stuff. Because you were talking about starting off with you know Dave Weckl's stuff, or sorry uh, Thomas Lang's stuff, and then realizing pretty quickly you're like, I know everyone's telling me this is one of the books you should do, and you're like, no. And then figuring out that you just love to practice, you don't want to do the touring hustle, that whole networking thing, which is hell on earth to a lot of people, yeah. <laughs> yeah, me including, because I I live in LA right now and I've been here for five years and I've done that, still do it, um, and I know exactly what you mean. Um, so yeah, I mean that's I'm that's that's you're you're successful with that. You 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 figured out what what works for you, man. I got I it's I I'm just lucky to be in a time where there's social media because I'm technically the guy they tell you not to be. Don't be the guy that just practices all the time and doesn't go out and play gigs. Like I'm the, I'm that guy. Uh, I just happened to come along where there was social media and I could just put clips of myself practicing up and people for some reason, like what I was doing. So it still seems weird to me because I'm not really, I mean, I, I make money playing drums, you know, different gigs. I fill in for gigs. I do sessions. But in a lot of ways, I'm not really a professional drummer. Like, I'm just kind of a guy that likes to practice the drums. I just happen to be able to put it somewhere where people can watch it. 20 years ago, I wouldn't, you know, I would have had to have gone down the route of getting gigs. And, you know, and honestly, I just don't know... I don't know if I could have sustained it, you know. I don't sure. know how long I could go on tour before it would drive me nuts. Totally, man. I'm just a like I love my alone time. I like I'm if I don't know if you've ever done like the Enneagram. No, um, I haven't. You know, personality types or whatever. My personality is mostly like I like to be alone a lot. I like to have my thing that I'm working on all the time and I'm okay with being by myself or just having a few close friends. Sure. I'm not great in huge like party situations where there's tons of people around. Me neither, so, man. <laughs> it's my hell. Yeah, it's just not my personality. So, um, you know, I, I think in a lot of ways I just I'm just lucky to be in a time where social media exists, you know, because mm. that's the only way I do what I do. Because it's a weird thing. Like when I try to explain to people what I do, it's like, well, I post clips of myself drumming, and then I sell lesson videos on on a website, and I teach uh, Skype lessons and private lessons. I'd like to get into doing clinics and stuff, but um, I'll probably start with some online clinics um, and just try to get those going. Because um, I do, I think it would be, I think it would be really fun. Um, and I love, te- I love teaching. I like helping people figure things out. Um, 
and that's you know most of the time when I do lessons, it's it's usually just people asking questions, or they just have a list of things they want to, you know, how did you do this, and you know, and it's it's fun to help people figure things out and see the light bulb go off, and not that everything I teach is gonna help them because everybody's different, but at least I'm giving them a perspective, and and then they can go find different perspectives from different people and and see what works for them. But it's sure. really fun and really fulfilling to teach. Um, and I love playing music. Like I, I, there's certain gigs that are a blast that I've done, and there there's certain tours that I would I would have to do if I ever got offered. But I've just I'm not the personality. I'm not going to go out and try to get those, you know. Yeah. Um, but there are there are some like and, and and my wife would kill me if if I turned down certain artists. <laughs> Uh, she tells me that, like, I, if if Carrie Underwood ever wanted me, she's like, "You don't have a choice. You're doing that." <laughs> That's a good partner to have, man. Yeah, and um, I I do want to address what you said earlier. So if someone's listening, and you know, I think you said it in jest, because again, I, you're very self-aware uh, that you are what everyone says not to be, and I think that I hundred percent get what you're saying, because obviously we we we've all heard it, but I think it's more directed at people that want to be the touring person, but they only post things online but your so if there is is someone that is like you that enjoys just doing is a introvert i guess is is the way i describe myself and it's kind of how you describe yourself and but you're self-aware enough to be like this is what i like doing then that's not bad so if you hear people saying that that's not the way to do it throw it out the window that's exactly what makes you happy do that yeah exactly i mean especially now where because of something like social media anybody that tells you that there's you know you're you're doing it wrong mm-hmm. there is no there's no doing it wrong like yep. anymore like there's all these people playing drums and then someone comes on and oh no one's going to pay you for that and it's like well hold on a second there probably is someone now that would pay them for that mm. and you know you're that's kind of old school thinking so if someone wants to sit down on their drum set that they paid for and play chops all day is it anyone else's business what they're playing? Absolutely, like, man. It's it's really not. Like, how is it anybody's business what any, someone else wants to do on their own drums, or what videos they want to post? So I'm all for like if if you have something that you like to do on the instrument that brings you joy and fulfillment, then don't let anybody tell you not to do it. Now, if you're trying to make money and you need gigs then you know find someone like Tommy Igo who can set you straight <laughs> and you know and help you learn that side of the business um, I'm not gonna know how to teach you how to get gigs because mm. that's not that's not my thing so go find someone like Tommy Igo who's like all about get, getting gigs and keeping gigs and you know find somebody like that but you know people who try to teach like Tommy Igo, just randomly like you know don't play that no one's going to pay you for that it's like well unless someone's asking you or paying you for that it's really none of your business what what people are playing so it always kind of drives me nuts when when uh like online teachers come out and call people out for for playing stuff it's like just let them play it's their drums it's not your drums let them play however they want to play exactly like nowadays you can like I'm a I'm a perfect example. I literally just post clips of myself like practicing stuff. And there's tons of people that would say, "Oh, no one's ever going to pay you for that." And I'm like, "Well, I'm pretty much paying my bills every month 
with that. You know? Yeah. So it just depends on uh, personality types. You know, I think a lot too. Like if you like you said, if you're like me, you're more introverted. Uh, and there was a time where it's like you don't have a choice. You have to go network and build relationships with people, and it's all about who knows who you are. And that's the only way you're going to get into this business. And nowadays, it's just not that way anymore. You can be an introverted guy who just stays at home and plays drums, and you can still find a way to, to you know, build your own path in the, in the business, so to speak. So that's all I've done. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love it, and we'll leave it there. And I, I agree with everything you just said. Um, so, yeah, number four, and I, I can't get enough of this guy. So, yeah, uh, A, Chris Coleman lesson. Uh, yeah, so I took a lesson with Chris. Um, my first quarter of music school, he came in and did a clinic, and he went, he he went to the same music school years earlier uh, for bass. Mm. So he would come in, you know, when I was going there, he would come in from time to time and do a clinic, and so I took a, a private lesson with him, and um, yeah, it was it was a it was an eye opener. I mean, I asked him a lot of stuff. I specifically remember asking him about, I saw this video of him at a NAMM show like in 2011 where he was performing for Sonar or someone. And he did this like one-handed fill thing that I just thought was the nastiest thing ever. Sure. And so I asked him about it. And he's like, oh yeah, this. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, that's it. And I'm like, how'd you develop that? And he's like, I just kept doing it until it worked. And he's like, most people give up too quick and they go looking for the secret on YouTube or something. And if they just would have stuck with it for another 30 minutes or an hour, they probably would have gotten it. Um, And, you know, that was just like, okay, so I just need to stop asking stupid questions. (laughs) Well, that stupid question, quote unquote, got a really good answer. So, hey, keep (laughs) asking them. (laughs) Right. And so I, I, I really appreciated that. And we talked about a lot of stuff, not just drumming, but life. Um, Chris is just super cool. Um, but the thing that stuck with, with me the most, the thing that had a huge impact on the way that I developed myself and practiced uh, was he pulled out this sheet from a book, um, and it just had a list of all the note rates on it. You know, whole note, half note, you know, quarter note, quarter note triplet, all that, just all the way through the note rates. And um, and he basically said like any rudiment or linear pattern, any th- patterns you know how to play, you should be able to count every one of these note rates over the top of whatever rudiment. Or and I was just like, at the time I was still like trying to wrap my brain around note rates and stuff because I just got into music school. I was still learning to read, and mm. so I was at the time like, what what the you know? I didn't really fully get it until later on it all kind of hit me like what he was saying and um, and how massively important that is to you know take all of the things that you know, already know how to play or that you're learning to play and make sure that you can count and and feel each one of those ideas in different rates and that it, you know it's it's not uncomfortable like i should be able to play a paradiddle and count to 5 and it not be weird I should be able to play a pattern of five and count to seven and it not feel weird. Yeah. Um, you know, that kind of thing. Any any linear pattern or rudiment or whatever, I should be able to count. 
kind of anything I want over the top of it. And, you know, at the time it was crazy, but it became a huge, huge part of my practice, you know. So just taking groupings of notes and putting them into different note rates and and then getting comfortable switching between those rates. And, and it's just a massive part of how I practice. Um, so, I'll, yeah, I'll always remember that moment because it's, it's weird because, like, at the time I, I couldn't fully understand what he was saying, but later it hit me how massive that was. And so, yeah, and, and, and just in general, it was really cool to sit down with Chris Coleman. Yeah, right there. And hang out for an hour and a half, so... Um, My question would be, how do you smile all the time? <laughs> well, he wasn't smiling when... Because the, the lesson started out with him pulling his bass out. And I sat down on the drums, and he's like, all right, just start playing, and, and I'll play along with you, you know? And he was just sitting there with this real serious face, you know, and he's just listening to what I'm doing. Mm. So he wasn't smiling then. Um and then afterward, he's like, yeah, you know, you tend to slow down a little when you play. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Oh, my God. I, I uh, wish I had that problem. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a, it's a weird problem to have. I think most drummers speed up, but I've, yeah. always, I've always slowed down. Uh, I always do the opposite. Like, I, I will find a, a comfort zone slightly slower than, than where everybody else is. So I always kind of end up a little bit on the backside of the pocket, I think. But... Um, but he noticed it immediately. He's like, yeah, you just kind of slowed down a little bit there, but you found it, you know? And, um, but yeah, he was great. It was just a, it was just a, a super fun experience. So, yeah. And that concept you just described is such a musical concept. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. It, 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 ta- it, it's another one of those things. Like if you, if you think about what makes someone like Steve Gadd sound the way he does, when I hear Steve Gadd, I hear someone who's got like, he doesn't have a million tools in his tool belt. He's got like a few, but he knows how to do everything with those tools. Yeah. Like he can put paradiddles in any note rate. He can switch them whenever he wants. He can play different permutations of them. And like, it, it's, it's not necessarily how many different patterns you know, but what do you know how to do with the patterns that you know? And if you can put them through different note rates and change up the orchestration and the dynamic coordination and all that of each idea, to me, that's more worth exploring than what's every possible pattern or every possible, you know, can I play 13 against 21? And, you know, it's like, well, yeah, it's probably possible to do that, but how are you going to apply that in a musical way? Whereas, like, maybe instead of 13 against 21, maybe you work on, like, 3 against 5, because those are much easier to apply into music and actually use them, and then you can figure out tons of ways to use that, you know. So that's just how my brain thinks. Um, and that note rate thing kind of started me down that whole path. Uh, and there's, like like I said, there's a ton of rabbit holes to go down, and that's... That's a personal decision. Like, if you want to go way down those rabbit holes, then, like, I think it's great, and I think you should do it if that's what you're passionate about. But I think it's important to also understand that, like, the further you go down some of those rabbit holes, the further away from from people's interest you're going to get in a lot of ways. Like, there's only a handful of people who can understand what you're doing enough to enjoy it at some point. So... I have a lot of respect for drummers like Benny Greb or, I don't know, 
Keith Carlock or you know drummers that can they're playing complicated things but they it always comes back to musical application mm. and so that's you know that's kind of how I keep myself from going too far down these technical rabbit holes is like I just have these spots where I go okay I don't think I'm actually ever going to be able to use that um, whereas I, I know I can use this so I'm going to stick with this you know yeah with the note rate thing it's kind of even if you just have three rudiments or phrases that you can go with in all those it's like if you have that and you have the facility of that you have like a get out of jail free card it doesn't matter if you're backed in a corner if you know how to get out of it because you're like well I only have this amount of time yeah it's like a little key to unlock anything to get back to ground zero yeah and, and it allows you to make mistakes and you can you can instantly fix a mistake and no one even knows you messed up because like okay i messed up i wasn't trying to play uh 16th triplets there but because i know how to switch into 16th triplets i'm just going to switch and no one's going to know that i didn't try to do that exactly and you only have that skill if you take the time to work on you know moving between note rates with different ideas so it's a it's super valuable i'll always remember that lesson well, yeah, too. And, and then we can move on to your last one, because I know I'm taking up a lot of your time. But um, if you think of any hero, they all have their thing. A majority of them have a thing that they've just invested time in. That's how you create your voice, is to figure out, is to limit yourself on what you want right. to focus on. Yeah, exactly. And that's I understand that's hard for people. Like that That's the biggest thing I get when I teach people. It's like, what? how do I pick what to practice? Because mm -hmm. nowadays, you you're being told hundreds of different things to practice every time you get on social media. Yeah. And it's like, you, you know, so at some point I tell everybody, you have to start being picky. You have to really decide what kind of player you're trying to be and start being picky. Um, you know, so for me, it came down to like, I have a handful of drummers that I listen to more than every other drummer. I listen to them mostly for inspiration. And then I can base a lot of my conceptual practice off of what I'm hearing. So I listen to Mark Juliana all the time. I'm obsessed with Mark Juliana's drumming. I don't sound anything like Mark, but I love I love the way he plays, and I get a lot of concepts out of listening to him. I'll hear something he does, and I'll go, oh, I'm going to practice doing that, but using kind of every, you know variation of that or whatever you know and i'll come up with some exercise based on just listening so you know at some point you have to be picky you have to decide what you want to be and and then start to get somewhat organized and that's where there's lots of people to help benny greb is a good example you want to know how to organize practice we'll try benny greb's way of organizing practice that'll probably work if it doesn't go to someone else who knows how to organize practice and you know so yeah man do you still go off that 10, 15 minutes thing that you learned at your music school? Uh, I mean, it depends on what I'm working on, but I, I tend to not go more than 20 or 30 minutes on any one specific thing. Okay. Um, just because I, I do find that my brain starts to wander, and so I, I do like making lists and moving through the list and then going back through the list if I have time. I enjoy that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a nice way to work on stuff, um, but there's times where your brain is just in a zone and you're really enjoying what you're doing and 
you know, you look at the clock and an hour and a half's gone by. And in those situations, I think it's different. It's like your your brain is really wanting to work on that in that moment. So I think that's a great thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you do find that after 20 minutes or so you're practicing and suddenly you're thinking, I wonder what my wife's making for dinner. And you're, you know, in the middle of an exercise, that's, to me, a good indication that your brain is like, okay, next. And, um, you know, learning learning to hear when your brain is telling you things like I know when my brain says that's enough practice for today you know I know I know what that is because I've I've gone past it enough times to know when my brain is saying that's it sure so for me that's around the three or four hour mark usually oh wow at some point my brain says that's it that's all you're getting today you can keep going but it's a waste of time that's kind of how it is for my brain sure um and so some people, it might be six hours before their brain tells them that. I don't know. I just know through experience what my brain is telling me to do, you know? Well, it makes sense because, uh, like I said, I go back to you being self-aware. You do listen to yourself a lot. and You trust yourself, which is – it, it's really hard to teach that. But speaking of pra- concepts, um, your number five is creating your own concepts to practice, which, I mean, you've been kind of touching on it the whole time, but um, it's, it's your, your fifth one, so I'll give you the floor with that. Yeah, I just recommend everybody take some time to do that. Because, like, when I finished music school, I took that seven-month, eight-month period where I wasn't practicing a lot. And when I went back to practicing and and working on stuff again, instead of just sitting down on the kit, most of my time actually was spent just sitting down with my laptop. And I would sit out on, like, my deck at my old apartment, and I would just think. I spent hours and hours just thinking about concepts i would i had these ideas based around a lot of stuff that i'd learned like benny greb's system or uh the new breed system and i would just have these ideas well what if i what if i did it with this instead of that what if i what if i did every permutation of this and then you know my brain would just think and then i pulled out my computer and i found a free notation software called muse score mm, yep. and i learned how to I just taught myself how to use it, and I started writing out pages and pages and pages of, of just concepts, just things to practice. And pretty soon, you have all these really cool ideas that, you know, I only I only thought of them because I just made myself sit and think for hours about what's possible. Um, and I spent like a year uh, doing a lot of that, just pulling out. You know, a lot of stuff from my brain that I'd thought of over the years, and I'd remember it and go, oh, I'm going to write it all out now. Like, I had that idea two years ago. Now I'm actually going to sit down and try to write out. So I wrote out everything, like every possible linear pattern of four and five and six. And and then what if I take those and I try to apply them to this concept? And, you know, I just write pages of jazz coordination-based stuff, comping stuff, and figuring out new ways to use the new breed pages like can i apply linear patterns to this can i apply rudiments to this can i you know what can i can i write out versions of those reading pages in triplets and and use those and so i it's like so much stuff um years later i ended up discovering gary chafee's books and realized he'd already written out tons of the stuff that i thought of um, and so there's like, oh, I could have just bought his books. But I loved that period of exploring my brain 
and just figuring things out for myself because uh, it it it's really that's mostly what I've been practicing for the last ten years is stuff that I just thought of myself after music school. I don't know. I f- I feel like if more people would take the time to really explore and kind of create their own curriculum for themselves, it it I don't know. It helps you kind of find your own voice a little bit. And I know that when I play, I don't. Everybody sounds a little bit like other players, but I've tried really hard to create my own sound uh, as much as I can. I think that the only way I've been able to do it even a little bit is just because I, I've, I've kind of tried to build my own concepts to practice. So I just recommend that for people if you've never tried that, sitting and thinking of, of new ways to apply things. Writing things out can be very helpful. Like if you just have an idea of like, hmm, what's every permutation of this pattern? Well, go write it all out and actually play them and see what they sound like and feel like to play and um, so yeah, Muse score was super helpful. You know, took a little while to learn it, but once you got it, it's pretty easy, and it's still what I use today to write out everything. So that's awesome, man, dude. I think this is gonna be this is gonna help a lot of people. Again, if you guys are listening, go check out. It's uh, could, what's your website again for people if they want to dive deeper and more specifics with you? Um, right now, it's jscottdrummer.net. Um, okay. And the the link the link is in my bio on Instagram if you if you want. But it is right now it's still technically jscottdrummer.net. I'm going to be changing it to jscottdrummer.com in the future, but right now it's still .net. Okay. Um, and I'm sure even if people listen to this a few years from now, they can it'll probably, you know, navigate to your new website or whatever. Right. So, um, you'll you'll find it. <laughs> so, it won't be that hard to find, I'm sure. It's the internet. You'll figure it out. But right. um yeah, uh, well, I, I'll let you go. I am going to keep talking to you after we stop recording about some logistics stuff. But um, it was great talking to you, man. And I think people are going to love this episode. So um, thanks again. Man, thanks for having me. It's always fun to talk drums. I, I always uh, appreciate sitting down with drummers and talking. So thanks yep. so much. Hell yeah, man. And that's the show. Be sure to subscribe. And if you're listening on a platform that allows for ratings or reviews, do that. It helps more people find the show, which means the show will get better and bigger, and hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'd be an OG listener that could brag to all your friends. Um, anyways, also, why don't you go ahead and check out BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and all the socials. Just search for at BigFatSnareDrum and you will find it. This show is edited in part using Isotope RX8 Audio Editor. It's amazing. So go check that out at Isotope.com. Bye.